Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 232. We look fear in the eye, we evaluate it to see whether or not it's a legitimate threat, and then we give it a high five and keep walking. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and can I just say, you are in for a special treat today. This is a powerful episode that can guide how you communicate with others moving forward. I'm being dramatic on purpose because I believe it to be just that important. But before we get into this, though, a quick message to let you know that there's still a little bit of time to sign up for my masterclass. It's already in progress, but if you're listening to this show right as it's been released, you can still sign up for one of the two final classes that are happening this week. The program is completely free, and it's specifically for those of you in the beginning stages of your business development, or if you're just now considering a business from your handmade products. When you attend this online class, you'll learn the single biggest thing people miss when they start their business, four critical elements to include when you're pricing your product, how to attract customers, and the secret to attracting loyal customers who will buy from you again and again. The exciting news is the category of handmade small business is steadily growing as the big box stores are seeing declines. We get into this too, all in the masterclass. To join us, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass and select one of the two dates that are still available this week. That's giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. Don't delay because the last class is this Thursday. Now about today's show. It's inevitable in life that there are going to be times when you need to have a conversation with your spouse, partner, or friend about a serious topic. It may be uncomfortable or challenging and you're just not sure how it's going to be received. Wouldn't it be great to have some structure around how to handle these discussions and know what to do based on the different types of reactions you might receive? You may be in this place right now, thinking of telling your spouse that you want to open your own business and what it will entail in terms of an investment or possibly quitting your nine to five. In this episode, you're gonna learn the four steps to manage the conversation in the most respectful and caring way and what to do next based on the three potential responses you'll receive. You'll be able to apply this process to any important topic that arises in your life. I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to a very special person with a very special topic. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Anna Osborne. She's the owner of Life Unscripted Counseling and host of the Her Life Unscripted podcast, where she focuses on reconnecting couples and inspiring individuals. She helps couples and individuals to improve communication, 
deepen intimacy, and change negative patterns of disconnection in their love relationships. Anna also works with entrepreneurial women to inspire and motivate them to step fully into their voice and live their lives out loud. She believes that your primary relationship can be your greatest tool or greatest barrier to success. Anna, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. I'm so delighted to be here. I am too, and we're going to dive right in with my traditional introductory question, and that is to have you describe yourself as if you were a motivational candle. So if you were to pick a color and a quote that created a candle that is totally you, Anna, what would your motivational candle look like? Yes, I'm so excited by this question. I would be that really cool emeraldy green is what the color I would be. And the quote would be, it's actually, I got it from a John Maxwell book and it says, how far can I go? And that's honestly a question that I ask myself a lot of times when I'm in that place of fear or overwhelm, especially around home life or business growth and just asking this question of how far can I go and using it to really combat those self-limiting beliefs and that kind of like doubt monster that sometimes can really take over. (laughs) I love those words, doubt monster, because you always hear imposter syndrome, right? (laughs) I never heard this before. And when you said it, what it brought to me right away was the thought that we're in total control of how far we go. We often think that other people put limits on us, but I think it's ourselves who are limiting our own growth. What do you think about that? I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, other people definitely can project their stories onto us and put limits on us, but the limits that we put on ourselves are far greater, more intense, and they are just so warped in ways, these ways that we can play small or keep ourselves small because we let fear make decisions for us. I tell my kids this all the time is that we look fear in the eye, we evaluate it to see whether or not it's a legitimate threat, and then we give it a high five and keep walking. (laughs) There you go. I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. And I have to say, I think this is going to get to be a deep conversation, Anna. As I start working with more and more people, and I'm guilty of it myself, (laughs) so I'm not preaching, I'm agreeing, and I'm actually putting myself in the circle with everybody else. We often think that our ability to progress is limited by outside factors, when I really think the biggest barrier we have sits right inside ourselves, We have everything we need, but we don't realize, recognize, or have the courage sometimes to access it. Yeah, and I think that what really is hard to, and because I'm in that bucket too, right, is what's really difficult is that when we realize that we are the greatest ones that hold ourselves back, the power of that it sometimes can be so overwhelming that we want to place it on something that's external. Because when we really recognize that our ability to step into our voice, step into our power, to not fit the mold of somebody else's story onto us, that that can be so overwhelming that we want to go back to playing small. But once we are aware of our power, you can't ever unknow that. I think of it like, (laughs) I call it my hot dog analogy, where essentially you can enjoy a hot dog, you can have one at a 4th of July barbecue or kids backyard barbecue, things like that. But once you read the ingredients of what's actually in a hot dog, you can still have one, but you never enjoy it quite the same because you kind of know what's in there. And awareness is the same way as once we know something in that deep gut, intuitive knowing way, we can never unknow it about ourselves. And so when we see ourselves fully in our passion, 
fully in our creative, fully in our power, we can never run from that or unknow it. And I really do believe that the more we become comfortable with that full version of ourselves, the more we crave it. We're overwhelmed by it, but it's an exhilarating overwhelm. And that is a process to more into that and kind of shred these ideas of who we thought we were supposed to be in a smaller way and who people needed us to be in that smaller way. Yes, I agree with you. But I have to say, I am one who doesn't really want to know what's inside that hot dog because when I have them, I want to love them. Right? I'm with you 100%. Don't show me the ingredients. I'm just better not knowing. Yes. I don't have hot dogs enough to worry, but I really want to enjoy them when I do. Yes. And I think also when you recognize this, the more serious side, when you get comfortable with this and you think that you can be in total control of what's going to happen next for you, It's so empowering and so exciting when you really think of the possibilities that do exist. And we're going to get into all of this, I know. But before we do, can you share with us a little bit about how you decided that this is where you were going to place your energies and your focus for your career? Yeah, I actually, I was pre-med when I started my undergrad and I was very much the science and the just the facts. And I took a random psychology class. I was required to take it. And I was at the University of Arizona. So it's five, 600 people in lecture halls. And I'm just walking in with my sophomore pissy attitude. And I'm sitting in that class in the very, very, very back of the class. And the professor started speaking. And all of a sudden, it's like the whole world shrunk down to just her and I having a conversation. And she was speaking a language that I thought everybody looked at the world through this lens. Like I thought that was just how people saw the world through that interconnectedness and that relational component and being able to see things in a million different shades of gray. And I didn't realize that that wasn't something everybody experienced. And I remember I went home. And I called my parents and I said, I'm changing my major to psychology. And they said, do you want to go to class number two? Like to go to day two and see. And I said, no, like we literally had this soul to soul conversation, even though there was, you know, hundreds of people around us. And it completely changed because the way I had always seen the world and these relational kind of interconnected pieces, I didn't know that that was a thing that you could study. I didn't know it was a thing that you could do. And that really just put me on this track to getting my undergrad in psychology and then my master's in psychology and getting my license to be a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've now been practicing therapy for about 14 years now. And I worked in the very beginning of my work with a lot of trauma survivors. And that was really, really intense, powerful work and high burnout factor and realizing that I want to make a ripple effect in my community. And that if I could work with relationships before they became unhealthy, or if I could work with relationships that had been modeled unhealthy stuff, that could I help create a ripple effect in my community to have a folks creating a different branch to their family tree by really modeling just more connection, more healthy communication, more fun, because it was safe enough to do so. And that's where I've spent the last 10 years as a couples therapist and as a business owner. I own my own business for the last nine. I've uh, seven-year-old twins and I'm a wife of 11 years. And so that complexity of building a business and growing a business and being so passionate about it And then also wanting to show up in my marriage and for my kids is where I've just found so much enjoyment out of just encouraging women to lean into their gifts. And so that's what brought me to your podcast and what brought me to reaching out and saying, I want to get to know your audience more. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to say about this. The first is it always amazes me how there can be one single moment in time that literally changes everything. And yours is a perfect example. There was just one class that hit you right. 
And that was it. Yes. It's so cool when those things happen, even though it was a totally different track. So what did your parents think? Were they cool with it or did they think you were crazy? Oh, they were totally good with it. I'm the middle child of three girls and my dad always, it doesn't sound loving, but he always says in the most loving way that you're the only person that can land in a pile of, you know what, coming out smelling like roses. So that is my personality is that I, for better or for worse, I tend to dive in and then go, okay, now how do I do this? And so they knew that about me and I wasn't doing the best in school. And it was because I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. I thought I wanted to help people in that realm, but the way I've been able to connect with people through the work of therapy has been just something that I light up about. And so they saw that. I'm sure I can only imagine after I hung up the phone, you know, three states away of the conversations (laughs) they had. Here she goes again. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's probably what it was. Like you said, it was that perfect time where I could hear it. And I think what was so powerful for me was I went in with just this negative attitude thinking, oh, psychology. Oh, I just had such a negative belief system. We had seen a family therapist late in my high school years. And the person was just every example of why you shouldn't go to therapy. I mean, just bad, bad, bad. So I had such a negative idea in my head of what those people do. I mean, just very 19, don't know anything, but I thought I knew everything. And so it was the exact perfect time to just burst me open and go, oh my goodness, this is how I look at the world. Like, I can't believe that I could do something like this and make a living and enjoy it and grow as a person by doing it. Yeah. Well, I have to say that when you see things that are being done wrong, when you then look at the opposite, it's even a better learning for you of what you should be doing to do it the right way. So possibly you having that experience, negative on family therapy, Luckily, you kept your mind open for the future, but then you saw this is exactly what is not going to be happening in my practice. Definitely. And it's really how I've built my practice is wanting to say, okay, like how, even if I'm not the right fit for somebody and they're reaching out, how can I give them a warm handoff to somebody who's a better fit? Because, you know, working in your community for 14 years, you know, a lot of people that do different stuff than you. And so that's something that has been always near and dear to my heart that when somebody says, Hey, we didn't have the right fit before I want to try and get them the right fit because it is so hard to reach out for help. I mean, it's hard to ask our partners for help. It's hard to ask our friends for help pick up the phone and ask a therapist for help. And there's so many messages that are connected to that that are hopefully inaccurate, but still they become great barriers. Right, for sure. Okay, so I'd like to take this conversation in two separate paths. One is going to be relationships and the other will be having a support system for your business. So someone that you can go to to lean on in those inevitable times when you need support. This may be your significant other, but not necessarily. So let's go with number one first, relationships. And let's talk a little bit about communication with all the various people who are significant in our lives. Do you have any direction for us, especially if someone is looking at entering into some conversations that could be a little risky, such as starting a business? Right. How um, do we ensure that our relationships are on a solid foundation before we even enter into those types of conversations? Well, yeah, no, I think that's a great question because relationships thrive off of stability. Whatever the version of stability is, right? All of our homeostasis looks different, but relationships thrive off of stability. They thrive off of safety. And yet when we are doing something new or growing a dream, growing a passion, that requires change. And so those two, stability and change, are trying to exist in the same system. It can create a lot of angst, a lot of worry, a lot of confusion. And so I think 
fundamentally, we have to know that our relationships thrive off that stability. And if we're throwing in currents of change, it's understandable that it's going to create some level of disruption. And disruption doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation, right? Disruption is just some waves that we've got to manage. So I think that if you go in knowing that it's going to create some waves, we aren't as surprised by them. We aren't as horrified or we don't use them as those, the see I knew it, right? It's like we see this one little indicator of disruption and we go, oh, it's too hard. I can't do it, right? We don't use those to validate our fear story. So I think one is knowing that communication or that relationship piece needs that stability and yet change kind of creates a little bit of waves. So when we approach communication, then we have to approach it knowing that we want to get to the fear place to have the real conversation. And what I mean is fear, worry, overwhelm, any of those just really icky feelings to have, those are the ones that are just very vulnerable and close to us. The ones that are a little bit farther removed, we call them secondary emotions, are more the ones that our friends or our partner, our support system might see when we're overwhelmed. Maybe we're a little agitated, frustrated, irritable. They're kind of more of the distancing emotions, right? So if we're approaching communication and we're in those distancing emotions, the irritability, the frustration, those sorts of things, we just stay up there in the noise and we never get to the heart of, hey, I'm overwhelmed, I need some reassurance. Or, hey, I can see that you're really worried about this. I hear you, let's talk about it. And so really the number one tip when it comes to communication, especially when change is happening, is the closer you can get to more of those softer but harder emotions and stay out of the noise in terms of the frustration, the irritation, the more authentic conversation you're going to have. And honestly, more of the forward moving conversation will take place because you're talking about what you actually need to talk about. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, we're talking about a solid relationship where they're not going to seek information and support elsewhere. When you're approaching a conversation with a relationship that's already solid, obviously understanding that there's ups and downs (laughs) with all relationships, right? But this is a solid relationship and you're going to be approaching a topic that could be really sensitive, like maybe quitting your nine to five because you're thinking of starting a business. Right. And let's just pretend it's me. Let's say I am now talking to my husband and I'm approaching this topic. Hey, honey, guess what? I've got news. I am quitting my corporate job to start my own business. And so what you're saying in situations like that is recognize that you will probably be throwing the relationship, not the long-term stability of the relationship, but the current relationship a little bit off kilter by that announcement because you're messing with the safety and the stability of the relationship. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Because you're coming in, you're enthusiastic. I'm going to live my dream, right? Goodbye to the corporate world and partner. They may move into, yes, that's amazing. But usually our partner moves into a counterbalance move, which is, wait, what are you going to do? Right. And so when we hear that little bit of doubt or that questioning from them, usually we can interpret that as they're not supportive or, and then we move to a place of frustration because we feel hurt, right? I came to you with this big old exciting thing. You seemed a little bit not so excited. And so now I am maybe a little bit irritable or my feelings are hurt. 
And so that's when you usually move up into that part of communication that isn't so productive, right? Because you're kind of in that, the noise, as I call it, versus you go to a partner and you're saying, yes, I'm so excited. I'm sure this might be big question marks for you. How are you feeling, right? You move into more of that softer piece because their maybe lackluster response isn't because they don't support. It's because they're scared. They're going, well, wait a second. What about our benefits? Or, or how are we going to how are we going to afford this? Like they can move into all those fear-based questions. And so the more that you can move in there and have the conversation in that place, it's much more productive because you're really hearing each other's questions and their fear rather than interpreting that as doubt or unsupport and those sorts of things. Yeah, because I could see it spiral out of control. Yep. Because you're so excited and you're presenting your idea and it's probably just the overall concept because you don't have all the detail behind the idea yet. It's just an overall thought. They may seem less supportive and now you're all upset because what you were excited about, it looks like you're going to be meeting with some resistance. When for you at that point, you need a super ton of support to get going, right? Right. And if you don't talk more about it on that deeper level, like you're saying, it can just grow into this big smoke bomb, I'm thinking, of emotion and frustration and all that where that never really needed to happen. Absolutely. So this is actually leading to a question and I have to keep talking or I'm going to forget it, Anna. But is there a certain way to approach this or a structure or steps we should follow? Or what would you suggest to somebody who is anticipating that they're going to be in some type of a situation like this? I guess I'm thinking here about preparation. Do you have any tips on how you prepare yourself to enter into this conversation so you get the best result? And you're being sympathetic to the person who's going to be receiving your message. Yes, absolutely. So the first is you as the speaker, right? You as the one getting ready to lean into this passion, to lean into this creative space and grow a business is you need to be clear of what you're needing from partner. Because the majority of people that I work with, even in couples therapy, that when they get a clear message from their partner of what they need, they're so eager to meet that need because it's clear, right? It's when we use these kind of vague words that our partners tend to get that deer in the headlights and go, oh my goodness, you're asking for something. I don't know exactly what it is. And so I'm either going to try this approach or I'm going to do nothing because I don't want to make it worse. So the number one thing is you've got to be clear of what you're needing from partner so that you can verbalize and accurately ask for it. So when you're starting a conversation of this nature, when it's coming out of left field even, could you or would it even make sense to say something like, I have something really new to talk with you about, and I'm really interested in your thoughts and your opinion on this, but I want you to hear me all the way through before you say anything. That way it gives you a little bit of space and time to talk where you know you're not going to be interrupted, but the person who's listening also realizes that they're going to get time to respond and voice their thoughts. 100%, yes, because it's clearly knowing what you need. And there's sometimes where you go into communication with a partner and you're saying, I need you to be supportive right now. Even if this sounds crazy or this sounds like you've got a million questions, I need you just to have a smile on your face and say yes. And then once I get it all out and I feel your support, then we can dive into maybe some of the questions you have of just being really, really clear with what we need. And so that really sets up the second piece. That's beautiful. 
Yeah, right. Because if we know what we need, usually not only are we more likely to get it, but we feel so heard and so seen because we were clear with it and partner was able to clearly meet it. But it creates an expectation that occurs and that feels really, really reassuring to the relational unit. Got it. Yeah. Super. Okay. So that's the first piece, right? The first piece is knowing what we need. But the second piece is, is it occurs after, but it's actually almost simultaneous, is that we have to invite partner into the conversation. Meaning if I know what I need right now is you to be my biggest cheerleader and put your doubts aside until I get this all out and then we can discuss is that I need to now invite you into that space. Because what happens in just day-to-day -day communication is that we've been running something over through our head for quite a while and then we go to partner and say, hey, by the way, and completely it's the first time they've heard this, right? Or they've never heard it organized in this fashion. So that's when we move into the invitation, which is, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something, a big idea I've got is now a good time for you. And I really need you to be open and supportive is now a good time for you. So that partner is now knowing what they're walking into and what the expectation of them is. Because if person walks through the door and we kind of pounce and say, I've got this thing to tell you, you ready? And partner's saying like, well, no, I'd like to put down my bag and put on some comfy clothes or whatever <laughs> it is, right? Like we have to invite them into that space and it's okay for the partner to say, you know what, not right now. Can we do it in an hour? But it needs to have that book end knowing that we're going to follow up to it. Because if you come to partner with all of this excitement and say, hey, I've got this big idea. Can we talk about it now? I really need you to be supportive. And they say, no, now's not a good time. And they just walk away. That feels like rejection, right? That feels like we came to them with this vulnerable thing and we got rejected. So that's yeah. really why that second step is so important. We've got to know what we need, but we've got to invite partner into that space. And if partner says yes, but in 20 minutes, we've got to honor that because we're setting an expectation and they need that space to kind of wrap their head around, okay, let me take some breaths. Let me move into that supportive place so that I can be there in the way that my partner needs. That is so brilliant because honestly, I mean, timing is all important, right? Mm -hmm. The same message delivered at a time when someone's in a position to receive it versus when someone is super stressed, just coming home with other things on their mind and just exhausted would be received in an entirely different way. Yeah. We have a thing here in the office, my assistant Lori and I, that when we come in first thing in the morning, it's like, let us sit down, take our coat off, put our stuff away, wrap up the computer, maybe if we have to check an email or something like that, but literally settle in before we start going over questions that we have for mm -hmm. each other or to-do lists or goals or that kind of thing versus bombarding each other the second we walk in the door with things that are on our important to-do list. So similar type of thing I'm thinking. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you have to know specifically in your mind exactly what you're going to need from your partner. And then you let them know that you'd like to have a conversation and you ask if this is a good time. Is that right? Right. And then your ripcord, right? The kind of third ripcord is to be able to let your partner have their response, right? Or is to let them have their feelings. Because think of it, let's say we had this podcast, right? We've got this scheduled let's say three minutes before we're recording, I send you a message and I say, hey, Sue, don't be upset, but there's a class at the gym I didn't want to miss. And so we need to reschedule the podcast, right? So that's not fair, right? You're allowed to be upset by that. You're allowed to be disappointed. Like you had set the time aside, I set the time aside, and then I just disregard it. So we need to let people have their feelings. And 
Could you be upset? Absolutely. Could you be disappointed? 100%. Does that mean that I'm a disappointment? No, no, that doesn't mean my being is a disappointment. Did I, was I being kind of inconsiderate? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I am inconsiderate. And so when we move into this conversation with partner, we're clear of what we need. We've invited them into the space. They feel like they're willingly coming in because it's on their terms also. We can't then say, hey, I want to tell you this really big thing, but you can't be worried or you can't have any questions or you can't like we can't dictate that from them because that's their feelings. That's their response. They have the freedom to have whatever feelings are going to come up. A hundred percent. And we have a responsibility of not taking that whatever feeling they have in terms of a way as a negative depiction of us. Meaning if you respond back in this fictional email and you say, thanks for letting me know, I'm really disappointed, right? I then don't need to take the meaning away of, well, she must hate me and I must really be a disappointment. And this means that you start rolling into this narrative that doesn't exist. And so really the third piece is let your partner have their feelings and be really cautious of how you're interpreting those feelings as meaning, as belief systems, because there is a difference between how we feel and the meaning we take away from things. Big difference. Got it. They're entitled to their feelings and you can't internalize their reaction to be how they're feeling about you overall. It's just how they're feeling about the situation you're presenting at the time. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's the third piece is let them have their feelings and just be really cautious about your own meaning that we take away. Okay. Can I ask you a question here? Go ahead. So I've been in conversation with people before who are already anticipating that when they bring up an uncomfortable idea, they're already anticipating that the reaction is going to be negative. So do you think by them anticipating that they've set themselves up to actually be in receipt of that reaction? You see what I'm saying? Right. That self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yes. Self-fulfilling prophecy versus particularly as they're listening to us now and they go through these steps first, they can kind of lead to their partner having a more positive and comfortable reaction because you've said what you need. You're inviting them in. You're going to be accepting of whatever reaction that they have. So maybe you're not going to get that reaction that you assumed initially would be so negative. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we can create almost a U-turn in communication. Hmm, a U-turn in communication? That sounds interesting. And we're going to hear more about that after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. A U-turn in communication, meaning you're having these conversations. I would be curious if somebody says, you know, I think my partner's going to get really upset. They don't like change or, or whatever the case may be. I'd want to know the why. Like, why is it, are you assuming that would be their response? Well, their dad had a really unstable job and their mom was the primary provider and she was, we barely were able to make ends meet. And so you get, start getting to, oh, so you saying, hey, I'm going to leave the corporate world and start my own business. That really represents a lot of fear to them, right? So if they know the why going in, then you can speak to that. Meaning, hey, I want to talk to you about this big idea you've got, I've got. 
there's some parts of it that might sound kind of scary and overwhelming and that's okay, but I want to share it with you so we can kind of talk our way through it. So you're almost creating this U-turn by naming the why or naming the trigger feelings that could come up from partner so that when they start feeling this fear or this overwhelm that you anticipated and you've put that U-turn in there, it almost prevents their mind from diving all the way there. It almost plays a role of validating it, right? Because you're saying, I know this might be scary. And then you're having the conversation and they're feeling scared. They're usually able to go, oh, okay, but they knew this was going to be scary and we can still do it. So sometimes you can actually create that U-turn for them by knowing the why around whatever assumption you have going into this sort of conversation. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And it also shows the person who's initiating the conversation that they've taken into consideration what the reaction might be. So there's a level of caring that's already established there. Yeah, because our greatest need in our relationship is to be seen and heard. Like that is like from cradle to grave, right? This is like attachment theory at its purest form is our greatest need is to be seen, to be heard. We just transfer that need from the child caregiver relationship to our intimate partner. Like just cradle to grave. We have this need throughout our entire lives. And so when we walk into this conversation and say, hey, this is what I need. Is this a good time for you? Not only are we requesting to be seen, but when we put that U-turn in or we validate this might be overwhelming, this might be scary, we help partner to also feel seen in that. It grounds the conversation so much more quickly in just really remarkable ways. The fourth, right, is just giving some breathing room, right? Because the thing is, when we're approaching this conversation, like I said, initially, we're kind of coming in with an advantage, right? Like we've got all of this planning and rehearsing and role playing that we've done in our head around how we want to present this to partner. Then we need to give some breathing space for them to process through. Relationships are that perfect definition, the balance to the counterbalance, the yin to the yang. And so the typical pairing in most partnerships is one person is an external processor, meaning that when and they're problem solving something or mulling something over, they want to do it verbally with somebody that is supportive, right? So they want to externalize it. And the perfect match to that is somebody who's an internal processor, meaning they need to take that time, they need to kind of be reflective to where they kind of process through and come to a more balanced place. And when we rush either people out of their process, it's when we tend to have the most miscommunications. So really the fourth step is give some breathing room, is that we can't go into change with a sense of urgency that it's, you don't decide, yes, that you're on board to support me in the next 10 minutes means you don't love me. We have to allow for that breathing space so that we can almost redistribute that power balance, right? That we're both coming in with an advantage, meaning we've both given the time that we need to process it through so that we can come to a problem solving, a logistic planning and implementation or action element of the conversation. But we can't get there until we both feel heard and both feel seen. This is so concrete and so directional. I'm so happy we're sharing this with everybody. Let me tell you what I did with my husband. I've now started two businesses where I've had to have this kind of a conversation. I didn't approach it exactly like this, but the outcome was good. So I think I did an okay job. <laughs> One of the things I also did was I said, okay, Michael, this is what I see it looking like. So when I started my first business, I said, I'm going to start in about six months. In the meantime, I'm going to be planning for it. And this is how much I would like to invest from our family funds. Then I'm going to run the business for six months and then reanalyze. We'll see how it's doing and then determine from there what would happen next. 
And then as things were progressing, I would keep him informed. It's not like I had to report back to him all the time, but I just gave him some updates here and there because that way he wasn't kept in the dark. Because I think a lot of times the fear of unknown makes people really uncomfortable and uneasy, especially if your family finances are part of this conversation. Because we were investing not a lot of money, a little bit of money for the first business, much more money for the second business. Any comments on this approach or things that you could have added where I, you know, things that I could have done better? Absolutely. Keep them informed. And I love that idea of, and this is kind of how long I'm going to give myself, right? Or this is how long we're going to just stay grinding it out or whatever the case may be, because there is so much, as much as we can keep our partner informed about our business growth, our business obstacles, they're still in the dark a lot of ways because they're not living it every day. And it's not their necessarily their passion that is now being turned into a business. So being able to keep them informed, but those little markers set an expectation of, Hey, if this is really overwhelming or scary for you, this is how long I'm asking you to tolerate that discomfort versus, Hey, I know this is overwhelming for for you. And you just need to deal with it as long as I feel like diving into it. So that timeline or that for the next six months, it's going to look like this helps to also create these markers. And they might be arbitrary, meaning that in six months, it might look like this, but it keeps a touchstone in both people's minds of being able to say, okay, the six months have come and gone. Do we keep leaning into it? Is there some ways that we can help it grow more? Is it something that six months was long enough to see whether or not it was a viable business? So that really helps to ground it because we've got some indicator of how do we measure growth? How are we coming back to having monthly or quarterly conversations around this so that we're all on the same page? Okay, perfect. So we've talked about how to deliver the message and how not to internalize it. So let's say we've given our partner some breathing room and they come back a little while later and they're like, you know, I've given this some thought and I am not with this program. Mm-hmm. For whatever the reasons are, I don't like it, I don't buy into it, then what do you do? Well, back in my early, early days of therapy, like I said, I worked a lot with trauma survivors and at the local domestic violence clinic, and then I worked with foster youth. So I was just in the throes of trauma work. And one thing that part of being a therapist for foster youth is that we used to have to go to these meetings. They were called TDMs, team decision-making meetings, where we'd sit around. If there was a placement change for a kiddo or a school change, some really big change in their life, as we all had to sit down as the support people in this child's life and make a decision of, okay, are we going to change placements or what are we going to do to help support? this kid. So it would be myself as a therapist, the attorney for the child, maybe the bio parent, maybe the foster parent, maybe, I mean, the social worker, like we're all sitting in this room and we'd come up with the best decision that we thought possible to really help this kid thrive. And then this amazing thing would happen where we'd have to then go around the room with this said decision that had been kind of discussed and compromised. And we had to say whether or not we supported the decision, right? Like I agree with the decision and I will support it meaning the actions that I am going to do are going to be in support of, yes, I agree with this decision. Or we had to raise our hand and say, I don't agree with the decision. I'm not on board, but I'm not going to work against it. Meaning I will agree to the steps that have been outlined in our plan as a service provider to this child. And I'll do it with a pure heart, but I really just, I'm just, I don't agree with what we've decided here. Or the third option was not only do I not agree with it, I'm not doing what you're asking me. Like I'm not going to sabotage, but I'm not doing these things that are outlined in my realm to help this plan move forward. And that skill, like that experience way early in my career is something that I've applied to really working with entrepreneurial women when 
they have a partner who's saying, I'm not on board, is really getting down to the heart of, okay, that is hard to hear. And we want to kind of process through the emotions that come with it because that's a hard thing to hear, right? But we've got to also then with partners say, okay, so of these three, right? If you're saying we rule out, I agree with it, I'm going to support it, right? If partner's saying I'm not on board. But our two other options then remain, which is you don't agree with it but you're willing to support me in whatever this capacity looks like as I do it anyway, or is it, I don't agree with it and I'm not going to do anything to support it. And hopefully not sabotage though. Right. And hopefully not sabotage, right. Which was never really a fourth option in these big old meetings, but there were some side glances that maybe there were some people that were going to do that. Right. Yeah. But they could be in a relationship like we're talking about. They could be like, no, it's not right. I don't want you to do it. Or heaven forbid, you have someone who is super controlling and dominating and says, you cannot do this. Yes. And that's really because if we kind of spoke to the first group, which is I agree with it, I'm going to support it. What we're talking about right now has kind of these two or maybe three categories in terms of the sabotager. But if it's the second one, which is I don't agree, but I will support it. That's not terrible. That one, really what we want to do there is just be cautious of it's not terrible. And we just have to be really cautious about the meaning that we take away around partners love for us because they will agree, but not support. They're talking about this idea, but I think of myself and a lot of business owners, what I do is a part of my identity, right? And so if partner says to me, Hey, I don't agree with this idea, but I'll encourage you along the way. We've got to be cautious that I don't then take the meaning and say, Oh, well, they don't really love me because they don't believe in my identity. Like, we've just got to be so cautious there with that kind of second group, right? It's not the worst, but we've just got to be really careful that it doesn't kind of create these messages that weave into the marriage or the relationship that create that of a lot of resentment or injury. Like I said, be cautious there. I think to clarify what won't support or won't work against means. Because for some people who are going to start a business, the first way that they're initially going to sell means going out to craft shows where they might be taking time away from their weekends or night times and their partner might be, well, now I'm not seeing you as often because of this new career you have. And resentment might start building up in that way. Furthermore, they might say, and, you know, don't expect me to be spending my weekend sitting with you at craft shows. I want to be fishing or playing golf or something like that. So they might not necessarily agree with it because in my example, they're not supporting it because of time. So maybe having some clarification over what their concerns are about supporting you, um, maybe time is their issue. And if you're a way to overcome that, then they'd be more supportive. Right. But it goes down to communication because they're really not trying to put you in kind of an I told you situation. They just have different concerns. Definitely. And that meaning thing goes both ways, right? Because if the maker is going to craft shows on the weekends and things like that. So if they're being cautious about not taking meaning away when partner says, I disagree, but I'll support you, you go do your thing, right? That that doesn't mean, well, then you don't really care about me. Yeah. Like, okay, well, don't expect me. I'm not doing that. Well, okay. Now, you know, right? Right. And also being upfront of, okay, and when I go, what happens if you start feeling resentful of where I'm spending my time? Like, how do we have a plan to come back and start talking to each other if that resentment's growing, right? Like, so really, it's kind of getting to a plan of it's okay if you don't agree with it, right? I appreciate that you're saying go do it, but I don't want to be a part of it. But what happens when I go do it, and you start feeling a little bit pushed away? Can you come to me and let me know that? 
Like, can we have ongoing conversations so that we're still nurturing our relationship despite this really big, exciting thing that I'm doing that you may not be on board with? So that's really where the conversation lies. Yeah, like maybe almost even formally setting checkpoints. Like every month, let's go out to dinner. I'll share with you what I'm doing and where we're at. In turn, you can feel free to ask me questions. And I'd also like input your thoughts and let's just have a conversation about all this. So everything is always staying out in the open. Definitely. And usually when we set that time aside, we're, that intentionality that we're showing partner is we're showing that they're a priority, right? And so even if it is once a month, we're going to sit down and do it because we keep that time as sacred and we've spent other weekends at other craft shows or building the business is that usually partner can see the consistency around that intentional time together and less of that resentment or less of that negative meaning is attributed to the other time away because they see that they are also a priority. So it has amazing effects of just the consistency of it and then what comes out of the conversations okay perfect and then what happens when you get that full slam door response it's a tough one there's a lot of honestly kind of mourning that has to happen around the response that we really wanted right i'm not saying mourning around the relationship ending but mourning around there's a lot of loss i'm feeling around this part of me that feels like it needs to be put life into and i'm being told that not only his partner doesn't agree with what I'm wanting to do, but they're not going to support it, right? That they're going to potentially make it harder for me. I've got women that I've worked with where they're building this business and it looks different when you are building a business than when you're in the nine to five. Like it just, a lot of times to some people, it may not look like, what exactly are you doing? Right. And you're like, I am working so hard. And yet it doesn't look the same way. And they will say, I've worked all day. I'm out there trying to build my confidence and grow my skill. And I come home and all the things that maybe I was in charge of or had been divvied up prior to this are sitting there waiting for me to get done after I come home. Like that just feels so unsupportive. Kids are still awake. Nobody's been fed. And it feels like a big old just punch in the gut of what is going on here that I'm being really feeling like I'm being sabotaged by partner in terms of them kind of dusting off their hands and saying, you know what, you do it, but nothing else can change. And it is, it does come with a lot of feelings of mourning and loss. And really the biggest piece is, can we get to the why? Like, what is it that's going on for partner that is making them dig their heels in so much? Because the more we dig our heels in, the more stubborn place that we tear into, usually it's because of fear. Like we will not move our position because we are fearful. And you ask a stubborn person if they're scared and they look at you like you're crazy, right? So you have to know that. So it's using language of help me understand why it's such a strong no or help me understand what is about it that makes you disagree with it. And usually as long as you're filtering down and filtering down, it will come come to a place of fear, but it takes some time to get there because I'm a very stubborn person and I'm very in touch with fear now. But in my younger years, like I would deny to anybody that I was scared of anything. And now fear is a friend of mine. Like, I learn a lot from my fears. Well, and they may not be able to put words to it either. They just, it feels uncomfortable to them. They can't necessarily describe why. You know, perhaps they've never had an entrepreneur or someone in their family who's done anything other than working for somebody else. So this is really unfamiliar territory. It's against any stability that you would want to feel, and that's important. In that case, you're trying to get to the why, and I guess that's a relationship issue then that you try and work on. But then you need support from somewhere. I think you'll agree with me, Anna. 
So if it's not going to be your spouse or it's only going to be your spouse to a certain level, as you were saying with number two, so they don't really agree, but they're not going to work against what you're doing. You would still want some type of an advocate, some strong supporter that you would find from somewhere. A hundred percent. I mean, there's got to be a group, a community, a tribe, whatever you call it around you that is there to support you. And this is a group that it looks different people. I mean, a lot of my business support people are online people that I've created wonderful connections with. And it's being able to speak that entrepreneurial language language. Because if I go to, I mean, my husband was raised by two entrepreneurs. So that's a huge, huge asset to our marriage. But if I go to him and I'm, you know, (laughs) the sky is falling, the (laughs) barn is burning, right? If I go to him in these panicked places, there may be a way he's reassuring in the moment, but he's panicking on the inside. Whereas if I go to somebody who is a business owner and I'm panic about whatever it is, they're not going to then take that internalized is that and go, oh my gosh, she's going to make her mortgage, right? And so sometimes, even if we've got a really, really supportive partner, we still need that community in whatever way we define it to be able to speak that language and be able to air out those fears and not have it create relationship traumas around, oh my gosh, what what's going on? So that community, and that's one of the reasons I enjoy your podcast so much of just the community of women that are listening and building connections around, yes, this is something that is possible. And there's also lots of things that happen. I mean, I think we've all seen that meme of what we think the entrepreneurial journey looks like, and it's like a straight diagonal line versus what it actually is. And it's that up and down, up and down. We need that community. And it needs to be someone who truly gets it. Hopefully someone who's doing it it themselves. So that's really awesome because it can be reciprocal. You can support them. They can support you. Oh, absolutely. that would work beautifully. So what do you think of where you can go to find other supporters? Friends? Maybe you have a sister-in-law who shows interest and is excited about your plans? Someone who is outside the business but can be a sounding board that you can go to? When you need a pick-me-up or just to bounce ideas off of? Do you think that's important too or... Yeah. And you're going to do it very similar to how we would talked about with partner is that if you're going to best friend and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed right now. Can you just listen to me vent and tell me everything's going to be okay? And best friend's like, girl, I got you. Go for it. Like, sis, this is good. And so it is okay. But we also have to let them know because especially, and I think this is the difference between sometimes we are lucky enough to have our support system, meaning our friends and our family get it. Right. And sometimes they love us but they don't necessarily get it in terms of that business growth way. I have a dear friend and she works like a very traditional schedule. And if I go to her and I'm panicked about my business or, you know, just whatever the case may be, she might be really supportive, but she doesn't necessarily get it in terms of that same way. So it's okay for us to have different people in our support system that serve different roles. Maybe we have a friend that really enjoys cussing and she's like, girl, you call me up and you vent and you use every sailor word in the book. I can tolerate it. Like who knows what that, that strength or that skill set we need in the moment. But it's very similar of knowing what you need, asking for it, but also knowing your relationships well enough to know that you're asking for something that this person can really easily provide you. And then you get to be that reciprocal person based on your strengths or your skill set and that what you bring to that support system. Yeah. And I think also somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in the outcome. So they can be pretty much objective, even though they're a good friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually thinking right now of a good friend of mine who has sometimes said, Sue, I don't agree with you. I think you've got it all wrong. And I'm thinking this other way. 
someone who's willing to not just agree with me, but make me look at things a different way, challenge me a little bit. I think that's really helpful. But you can only do that when you really have solid levels of trust, honesty, and you don't think there's any underlying motive. <laughs> like they're not setting you up to fail or something. They really have your best interest at heart. And those conversations come from close friends, in my opinion. Possibly online connections, too, but close friends. Yeah, and they're ones that you've built. I have two that have become dear, dear friends. And we did meet. One was a colleague introduced us, and the other one was I met her at a conference. And the three of us have become such great friends. And one of them is she's just so nurturing and kind that anytime I've got a doubt or I'm just overwhelmed, she's right there to love on me. And the other one is such a straight shooter that when I raise my fees, which as a helper healer, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I think raising our fees and talking about money, it's such a hard thing. But when you, the helper healer community, unfortunately, there's a lot of shame that is associated with, are you a good helper healer if, if you make enough to live? Like it's just so backwards and garbage, but that's another conversation. And so raising my fees and she's such a straight shooter. And the way she called me out on our three person text message, I could feel her love because I know her, but I'm like, girl, you're the only person in the world that could say this stuff to me and that I hear it. And I use it as growth points versus I hear it and I get my feelings hurt or I hear it and disregard it and say, you don't know me or whatever the case may be. Right. So really it's fostering those friendships and knowing the person well enough that, that she's got so much love for me that she can say things like that. And I never hear them as something that is unkind. It's always just so filled with love, even if it's so much more direct than I may approach it. Different relationships offer you different types and different levels of support. That's for sure. This has been a fabulous conversation. And these four steps in terms of approaching a conversation, I know are going to serve me and our listeners really well. And although we used it specifically for entering into a conversation about starting a business, clearly this can be used for any potentially powerful, impactful, important conversation that you come up with in your life. I also really appreciate your direction. I've never really thought of this before in terms of how you would handle a conversation and clearly never recognized or realized these three levels of support. Obviously, you'd like the reaction with the first one. The second one is okay. I mean, you can work with it, but the third one, what do you do if someone really, really is against what you're dreaming of? At least understanding where you can go next and having some concrete steps, I think is really helpful. And some of our listeners are thinking about having this conversation. They're ready to take a ne their next step and talk about this with their significant other. So thank you so much, Anna. This has been golden. This is one of those interviews where I'm not sure exactly what we're going to be talking about as we get into it. And now that we've gone through it, it is so much more than I ever could have hoped. So thank you for that. And I know that all our listeners are saying the same thing. My pleasure, too. In exchange, I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? Mm, I love this question. 
inside my box is the ability to just connect with women on these conversations is being able to through speaking through social through being able to just reach more ears more listeners and being able to encourage them to step fully into their passion and so for me looking in this box it looks like more speaking more workshops more conferences of just on this topic and having this really really rich conversation because i love the therapy work that i do and it's also work that in 14 years has taken it takes a lot of you and I love that I do that, but being able to also balance it with speaking and speaking in this realm. I'm thinking back to that day in your class when you made the decision to make a change. You have so much talent and so much skill in what you've chosen to do. And I so want your gift to be true too, where you can keep sharing because we all so need it. It all works hand in hand. How can our listeners learn more about you, Anna? Yeah, the best place is to head to my website, lifeunscriptedcounseling.com. And I've got all my links to social. I've got links to my podcast. I've got a weekly blog that is literally a relationship tip every single week for them to be able to check out. And there's also actually a link on there for a seven-day relationship challenge that's free. They can click on that and sign up. And it's delivered to their inbox every day of just different ways to dive into relationship skill building, relationship conversations. They can do it one day for seven days. They can parcel it out and have it be part of an every other week date night that they kind of take the scripts and the activities to. But I'd love to offer that to your listeners because it is just a really guided, concrete way to dive into just a deeper part of knowing each other in our relationships. So yes, lifeunscriptedcounseling.com is my site. Perfect. And Gift Biz listeners, I'll just remind you of the show notes page. So if you weren't able to capture information right this minute, you can always go and resource it later. Anna, thank you from the bottom of my heart for this conversation today. I know it is going to help so many people and it has been absolutely marvelous having you on the show. Oh, thank you, Sue. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I really, really enjoy your podcast. And I'm just so excited that we've connected virtually now. And yeah, I'm excited to just continue listening to your podcast and just being a fan of the work you're doing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. And I know we'll definitely stay connected for sure. You know, I used to get a pit in my stomach every time I had to approach a difficult conversation. I really feel that now, with Anna's direction, I can be much more in control of how I introduce an issue into the conversation and then manage through what happens from there. It all goes back to communication and respecting one another, but having this structure helps so much. As we close out the show this week, one last reminder about my masterclass. It's called How to Turn Your Handmade Product into an Income-Producing Business. And the link to register is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. I'll see you all here again next week. Bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.